have a Bible, please take it and turn to Luke 17. Luke chapter 17, as we continue to march through the Gospel of Luke, just so you're aware, we'll be in Luke this Sunday. Uh, Next Sunday will be our Christmas Sunday of sorts, and so we'll take a break from Luke and think about um, what it means that Christ has come. Um, And then we'll end off the year by finishing up Luke 17, thinking about the coming kingdom. That's a good way to end the year, uh, to think about the coming kingdom. Um, So please pray for me as I try to work through Luke 17, 20 to 37 and understand that well. Um, But we'll do that. And then at the beginning of the year, we'll, we'll hit Luke 18. We'll look at verses 1 through 8, which is a teaching on prayer. And we're going to kind of jump off that into the new year and think about prayer for about three weeks following that. Um, We'll think about it specifically related to Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, which is the third Sunday in January. And so we'll think about prayer around the idea of the sanctity of human life and um, the issue of abortion in our world. So just so you know kind of where we're heading um, in the next few weeks. But for this morning, we have Luke 17, 11 to 19. Uh, it's Christmas time, which means it's time to go to Toys R Us or to get on Amazon and find all the, the latest toys. I've, I've noticed that toys are cyclical. Have you seen this? So when I was a kid, the big toys were things like Ninja Turtles. And the big toys now are things like Ninja Turtles. Isn't that interesting? I think they're doing something. I think they're trying to tap into my nostalgia, you know. So I love Ninja Turtles, and so now I will buy it for my children so that they will love it. Uh, I think My Little Pony, that's back. That was big back in the day, and that's back. Transformers is back. You remember the theme for Transformers? It rings in my head. Transformers, more than meets the eye. This is a weird transition, but um, I think that this story is a bit like the Transformers. There's more than meets the eye in here. It's this story, I, I approach it and I thought, I know what this story is about. It's about gratitude. It's about giving thanks. And, and yet, as I, I was studying it and thinking about it, there's, there's, there's more here than you might think. It's, it's, it's not as simple as you might think. If you're like me, you were introduced to this story via flannel graph. Um, with, I don't know if you remember flannel graph, but um, it was little guys on a felt board and they would walk around. That's how I heard, first heard this story, I'm sure. And it was about giving thanks to God for the things that he has, has given to us. And I think that that's, that's here. But I, I think this story is maybe not as simple as we might think about it. You're wondering what this story is. So we're going we're gonna to read it here. But the question we're going to ask as we read this story in Luke 17 is, what is true gratitude? That, that's just the question we're going to try to answer. I don't really have a, a solid big idea that we're going to go for. We're just going to try to answer the question, what is true gratitude? So we're going to read it here. We're going to walk through the story and try to get ourselves into the midst of it and think about it. Um, And then we're going to launch off from that and talk about some characteristics of true gratitude, true thankfulness. And I believe that Jesus is going to open up our eyes to see something amazing and unique, to see that what we might think gratitude is, that there's there's more to it than, than what we might realize. And there's more to this story than we might realize. So look with me at Luke chapter 17, and I'm going to read in verse, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. 
Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. What is true gratitude? Jesus begin, Luke begins this story with this phrase, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And that's not a throwaway phrase. That's, that, that's not just the way he's introducing the story, but there's a point here. Luke begins by reminding us that Jesus is not wandering aimlessly from town to town, but that he is, he is on a mission. He is on his way to Jerusalem. We saw this in chapter 9, verses 51 and 53. We were introduced to it, showed up again in chapter 13, verse 22. It's here, and we're going to continue to see it more and more, that Jesus is on a mission. He has set his face to go to Jerusalem, because he knows that it's in Jerusalem that all of the tension around him is going to, to come to a head. It's, it's, it's in Jerusalem that he's going to face trial, that he's going to be sentenced to death. This is where he's going to, to die on the cross as a criminal. This is where he's going to accomplish our salvation. And, and we could say in some sense that from the moment he was born on the first Christmas, he was on a journey to Jerusalem. And so now we look here, and a 30-something-year-old man is walking, and each step that he takes, he's getting closer and closer to his destiny, which is Jerusalem. But until then, he's passing between Samaria and Galilee, which I think describes his physical location, but it also describes sort of the focus of his ministry. Uh, Peter and, and Paul later on in the New Testament, New Testament are going to be the ones who really introduce this concept that the, the, the kingdom of God, the message of salvation is for all people, it's for all nations, it's an in, the ingathering of all people to God. But Jesus is right now giving glimpses of the fact that this, this good news that he is proclaiming is, is not just for the Jewish people, but it's also even for Samaritans. It's even for Gentiles. Jesus doesn't let the walls of racism keep him from his mission because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And and Jesus yet walks this line, as it were, between Samaria and Galilee. His whole ministry, he he is calling all people to come to salvation. And while he's on this journey, it says that he entered a, a village. I just think it's interesting to focus, to, to think about this, that Jesus is on this ultimate mission, but yet he still has time to stop in this village and, and to show compassion. That's who Jesus is. He's, he's on this mission, but what a loving Savior. He has time for anyone who would call out to him for mercy. So he comes to an unnamed town, and he meets ten unnamed men. You might imagine him walking into this town, I think word traveled fast when Jesus sort of got near a place and people probably came out to meet him. So you can maybe envision him and the disciples surrounded by, by children. And surely some people had run back to the town and said, guess who's coming? Jesus is going to be here very soon. And so the, the word traveled quickly. And it even went um, out to the, the outskirts of town, to the fringes of society, where there were some men who had leprosy. We saw a man with leprosy back in chapter 5. As we described what leprosy was, we said leprosy could refer to a wide range of, of skin diseases of some kind. 
Whatever the exact condition, we're not totally sure. Uh, but it was so bad that these people who had leprosy were were made complete outcasts in society. They were they were shunned completely. Leviticus 13, 45 to 46, the law of the Old Testament gives the stipulations. It says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes. So imagine this person. Torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. These men were, they were highly contagious. And the only way that people knew how to deal with this was to quarantine them, was to, to cast them out of the city limits so that they would have no contact with anyone else and possibly pass this disease on to other people. It's what some of us want to voluntarily do during flu and cold season, right? I'm just going to lock myself in my house so I don't see any viruses, I don't touch any germs. But, but here, these guys, this is not voluntary, these men had no choice. They are pulled out of their families, they're pulled out of society, and they are thrown out of the city. They are outcasts. Leviticus makes it clear that, that they would have been cast away from their family and their friends. They would have survived only on the kindness and the charity of other people. They were untouchable. To, to bump into someone who had leprosy meant that you too became unclean, and you were not allowed to enter into the temple or to have contact with, with anyone else for a certain set period of time. And so they often would wear a bell. If they weren't going to cry out unclean, they would wear a bell like some form of, of cattle so that as they walked around, everyone would know that they had leprosy so that they would not be bumped into accidentally. Imagine living like that. I mean, this is a, and it's a helpless, it's a hopeless situation because nothing, nothing could be done. There's, there's no cure. There's, there, there's no medication. There's, there's no treatment. They are thrown out of society, and these ten men, their only hope is that it might go into remission. And, and somehow then they might be able to re-enter society. It's been said, actually, that leprosy is, is the perfect picture of men and women who are lost in sin. That we are outcasts from God. We are abandoned. We are unclean. We are hopeless, and we have a sentence of death hanging over us, and as it were, breaking out all over us. We are all, apart from Jesus, filled with leprosy. Leprosy in our soul. The leprosy of sin. And we really, we have no hope. Just as these men had no hope. No hope until they saw Jesus, right? And then they had this, this glimmer of hope. This, this is hope. They, they, they had heard about Jesus. They had heard about his, his power to heal. And I'm sure that they heard about that one time. That one time when he actually walked up to a leper and touched him and healed him. Can you imagine what that would mean to these guys? And now this Jesus, this guy is coming to their town. And they get word of it. And, and so we find them. They're standing at a distance, the text says. They stood at a distance because they weren't allowed to come into the city. That was, that was not allowed. Remember, they're outcasts. And so they, st- they get as close to the city as they can, and they're trying to get Jesus' attention. And again, this is just my imagination running wild a little bit. But, you know, maybe Jesus doesn't see them. They can't get close enough, and, and, and they can't get his attention. So, you know, I don't know. One guy has the idea. Let's, let's all get together, okay? And, and when I count to three, 
we're all going to say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Okay, everyone got it? And so they do it. They count one, two, three, and it goes terrible the first time because that's how those things always go the first time. You know, I thought it was one, two, three, go. You said one. So they get it together and, and they cry out and, and they, they, they get everyone, they get Jesus to turn and they get everyone else to turn too. And they all look in stunned silence out sort of on this hillside. You might see them, these, these ten lepers. Their, their hair is long. Their clothes are, are torn. And they're standing there. And everyone looks. And Jesus looks. And, and Jesus sees them. And so who cares about the judgmental looks of everyone else? Right? Jesus sees us here. He hears them. They're crying out, it says, for, for mercy. Have mercy on us. Jesus, have compassion. Show us some pity. It's the same word that we saw back in chapter 16 that the rich man, when he was calling out to Lazarus, for Lazarus to come and and dip some water on his tongue, he was calling out for mercy. That's the same idea here that these men are, they are in a living hell. And they are saying, God, Jesus, have mercy on us. And, And just think about this. They're crying out. And they are crying out, that their, their act of crying out is in fact faith, isn't it? Because they believe something about Jesus. They believe that he, unlike anyone else, can actually heal them. Why else would you cry out to him if you didn't have some measure of faith in his ability? And so they're praying, as it were. They're praying for mercy. Everyone wants mercy. Who, do, who doesn't want mercy? Who doesn't want compassion? Everyone prays to God in times of needs. In times of need. And everyone asks for help. Even, even people who, who question God in the daytime. When the, when the night gets dark, they are calling out to God for mercy and for compassion. And we too. We may forget God when things are going well, but if we're in a helpless and a hopeless situation like these men were, we're crying out for mercy. What else can we do but cry out for mercy? And Jesus hears our cries. Jesus hears these cries for mercy, just as he heard these men. He listens to us. And what does he say to them? When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Why? Well, the priest functioned as some sort of like local health inspector in those days. So the, the priest, part of his job was not just the daily sacrifices, but he was also in charge of, of actually checking out to see if people had this disease. So he would say if someone had leprosy or didn't have leprosy. And if someone had had leprosy, and then they said they didn't have leprosy, they had to go to the priest, and the priest could say, no, you, you don't have leprosy anymore, or actually you still do. And so he would, they would come, and then if that person who had had leprosy now didn't have leprosy, then the priest would, would, would do certain things to cleanse this person, perform certain sacrifices, and that person could then be restored to their family and society. So when Jesus says, go to the priest, Jesus is asking them to believe that if they go, they will be healed. He is asking if their faith is great enough, not just to simply say, Lord, have mercy on us, But will their faith move in positive action? Will they actually go to the priest? Because if they look at their present situation, Jesus says, go to the priest. And they say, why would I go to the priest? I still have leprosy. It's still all over me. So Jesus is saying, I want you to believe that if you will listen to me and you will go to the priest, that you will be healed. 
He's inviting them to walk away in faith. I think that's what God does sometimes, doesn't he? That, that we, we pray for mercy, which is right. And then sometimes in response to that, the answer that he gives us is that he calls us to sort of move in positive action. So, so we want to ask for mercy, and we should ask for mercy, and God says, I will give you mercy. Turn and go to the priest. Now, it might be something else. What's he going to tell us to do? You know, we might pray, God, deliver me from sin and temptation. And Jesus says, I will. But, remember we saw that he, he gets radical about sin and temptation. He says, you need to cut off your hand. You need to gouge out your eye. You need to do whatever it takes to get rid of sin and temptation. So we pray, God, deliver me from this. And then he says, well, you need to stop hanging out with those people. You need to stop going there. You, know, you need to put some software on your computer. You might need to just get rid of your computer because you can't handle that. So I'm going to show you mercy, but you know you got to do something too. Let's move in some positive action. I'm asking for faith that moves forward. He might, you know, you may be asking for someone to come to faith in Christ, and he might say, "Actually, I'd like you to share the gospel with them." He might, uh, you might be praying for those that are in need, and he might bring someone across your path that's in financial need, and it's your job to move in faith and to help them. You might be praying to God, Lord, help me to know you more. I want to understand who you are more. And he says, then you should pray a little bit more. You should read your Bible a little bit more. He wants us to move in positive action. So there's, it is right to ask for mercy. It is right to ask for God's help. But there is also a type of faith that not only asks, but then moves in positive action. And for these guys, they needed to go to the priest. It actually says priests. Plural, with an S on the end, because if ten guys show up, it's going to take more than one priest, right? It's going to take some time to go through this whole process. And to a man, every one of them goes. All ten. There is, they all turn and they all, in faith, head towards the priests. I think they all, that, that's evidence of some kind that they had at least a small amount, maybe like a mustard seed, <laughs> a small amount of faith, but even faith the small of a mustard seed can uproot mulberry trees and bring healing from leprosy. Maybe it was one guy that led the way, you know. He said, let's do this. And they all said, all right, we'll follow you. His faith bolstered theirs. Maybe they all just turned on their heels right away. Yeah, we believe what Jesus says. And as they're going, they are cleansed. Do you see that? As they went, they were cleansed. It's just it's so simple, right? But can you imagine what that would be like? You're walking down the road and you've had leprosy for who knows how long and all of a sudden you look at your skin and it's like the day you were born. It's like you're born again. I mean, what would you do? I, I, you would be ecstatic. You, you, would, you would jump for joy in the air. You'd fall on the ground and weep. You would, you would be so grateful. I, I don't think the point here is that these nine were not grateful at all. I think that, how could you not be grateful? They had to have some sort of thanksgiving to Jesus for what he had done. There has to be something there. But this one guy is singled out, right? Why? Because when he turns and sees that he is healed, he turns back. It's interesting. Jesus is, I just think about all this. Jesus is coming into the town and they're crying out. Jesus sends them away to the priest and then Jesus 
And then this guy turns and comes back, and we'll see at the end that then actually Jesus sends this guy away. So there's all this coming and going that's, that's going on. Everyone else continues on their way, though, but this guy turns back. All the others kept going. They wanted to go see their family. They wanted to make sure they did this whole thing with the priest, all except for one. I think it's ironic, too, to think about, I kept thinking about the, the 99 sheep and the one that was lost, that Jesus goes out to get the one, and here it's 10 that are sent away and only one that, that comes back. Just that principle, maybe, that, that often the faithful and the grateful are very few. But this guy, this guy returns, and he finds Jesus. And it says he, he praises God with a loud voice. He falls at Jesus' feet in humble worship and he gives him thanks. All ten are grateful in some way, right? But, but this guy is truly grateful. What is true gratitude? What's the difference between a gratitude that continues on your journey and a gratitude that turns back and gives thanks to Jesus? What's the difference between those two things? Let me give you four characteristics, I think, that are in here about this guy that help us to see what true gratitude is. Number one, true gratitude finds the source. True gratitude finds the source. The nine are grateful, no doubt. They're grateful. They're grateful for the healing. But, But in their joy over this gift that they've been given, they forget the giver of the gift. They, they were thankful for the healing, but they were not thankful to the healer. In 11 days, children will open presents, and many of them will be so enamored, so thrilled with what they see underneath the wrapping paper that someone will have to say, Johnny, did you forget to thank your grandma? <laughs> She's the one that gave you that gift, and, and Johnny will take his eyes off the treasure for just a half a second and mumble some sort of thanks to his grandmother before returning to the gift. He loves the gift. He's not really enamored with the giver at that point, though. And we are all often like this, aren't we? I mean, we find joy in the blessings of God. We find joy in gaining things that we ask for. In answered prayer, we, we find joy in what we've been given, but our gratitude often focuses on the gift that has been granted and not the giver of the gift. We're all naturally like those described in Romans 1, right? So God has, has blessed us with creation, and in creation we see all the glory of God, but instead of worshiping God, the source of all the wonders that we see, we call on rocks and hills and mountains. We worship the sun rather than the son of God. I mean, we just get mixed up, you know. But the blessings of God are never ends in and of themselves. They are intended to, to draw us to Christ, who is the source of all those, those blessings. And when this one guy who is truly grateful sees that he is healed, he returns to Jesus because Jesus is the source. Every gift that we have has come from God. That's what James says. It's all come down from the Father of lights. And all the blessings of life that we have should cause us to turn back to God, to turn our eyes to heaven and to thank God who is the source of all our blessings. True gratitude finds the source always. It doesn't just rejoice in the gift. It finds the source. I think closely tied to this then is true gratitude is a form of, of praise. True gratitude finds the source. True gratitude is a form of praise. So he sees that he's healed. He turns back. 
praising God with a loud voice. This guy's not shy in his response, is he? I mean, he is celebrating. He shouts his praise to God. He, he finds Jesus and he exalts in Jesus. He extols Jesus, not simply as the, as not, not just the gift, but as God himself, he celebrates Jesus. He's like the shepherds, right? That's what the shepherds do when they find out that Christmas. They return glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. Charles Spurgeon, some 150 years ago probably, uh, preached a sermon and made the on this passage and made the point that most of us pray more than we praise. Think about that. Most of us pray more than we praise. He said to his church, and he says to our hearts now, listen to this a bit long quote, but worth it. He says, you pray little enough, I fear. <laughs> so he says to his church, you pray little enough, I fear, but praise, where is that? At our family altars, we always pray, but seldom praise. In our closets, we constantly pray, but do we frequently praise? Prayer is not so heavenly an exercise as praise. Prayer is for a time, but praise is for eternity. Praise, therefore, deserves the first and highest place, does it not? Listen to this sentence. Let us commence the employment which occupies the celestials. So let's do what they do in heaven, is what he's saying. (laughs) Prayer is for a beggar, but I think he is a poor beggar who does not also give praise when he receives alms. I think we'd all agree with that. Praise ought to naturally follow upon the heels of prayer, even when it does not, by divine grace, go before it. If you are afflicted, if you lose money, if you fall into poverty, if your child is ill, if chastisement visits you in any form, you begin to pray. And I do not blame you for it. But should it all be, should it be all praying and no praising? Should our life have so much salt, and so little sweet in it? Should we get for ourselves so often a drink from the rock of blessing, and so seldom pour out a drink offering unto the Lord Most High? Come, let us chide ourselves, as we acknowledge that we offer so much more prayer than praise. Isn't that true? I mean, I feel that. When I'm in need, I I pray. But how long do I praise once I get what I want? I get what I want, I move right on. So let's be grateful. And true gratitude, it, not just find, it doesn't just find Jesus as the source of the blessing, but true gratitude then, then praises Him. True gratitude is a form of, of praise. Notice briefly next, true gratitude is, is filled with humility. True gratitude is filled with humility. We, we might assume that, that the nine who did not return, in some way were fighting pride or selfishness which is the root of nearly all sin, isn't it? They, they had been healed, and, and now they had things to do. They had people to see. They had stuff they had to get done. Maybe, maybe they thought, well, I'll return later and thank Jesus, but they never did. They called out to him, Lord, Master. But they, in fact, were their own masters. And they went where they felt like it was important for them to go and did the things that they felt like it was important for them to do. But this guy... This humble man returns, and what's he do? He falls on his face at the feet of Jesus. He has no sense of deserving this gift. But rather, he sees himself like we see in verses 7 through 10, like we looked at last week, that he says, I am an unworthy servant before you, God. I didn't deserve any of this. One of the reasons I think we're often ungrateful is that we have become so self-focused, we have become so prideful, 
that we assume that God owes us all of the gifts that he gives us. That he is somehow indebted to us. That, that we have received blessings because we deserve them. There's a sense of entitlement in our sinful hearts that will strangle any true gratitude. And until we embrace this attitude, I think, of verses 7 through 10, until we embrace this attitude that says, I am an unworthy servant, then we will never be like this leper. We need to see our need. We need to humble ourselves. So let's do this. Let's, let's humble ourselves. Let's see everything that we have. Everything that we have been given is given by grace. The only thing that you and I have ever earned in our lives is judgment and condemnation. That's the only thing that God owes to us. So anything that he gives us other than that is mercy and compassion and grace. And if we think that way, then we will show true gratitude in any and all circumstances. True gratitude finds the source. True gratitude is a form of praise. True gratitude is filled with humility. And then finally, true gratitude is the fruit of saving faith. It's the fruit of saving faith. I think actually that this passage may be equally, if not more, about faith and genuine saving faith than it is about gratitude. So you can notice all are healed, right? Every, everyone's, everyone's healed. All ten receive this blessing of being cleansed from their leprosy. Every single one of them. But what does Jesus say to the man who returns? There's a blessing in verse 19 that the other nine never heard. He says to this guy, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you, is what it says. His gratitude did, did not make him well or save him, but his gratitude, I think, is a clear evidence of his genuine faith, of a faith that is able to save him, not, not just from leprosy, but from sin. Go a little bit deeper with me, okay? Because there's a big reveal in verse 16. Luke kind of holds back some information for us through the whole story. And then in Luke 16, he, he lets it out. So you'd have to read this story. I imagine you never read it. He's, he's, Jesus is walking through Samaria. That's bad enough. But then the one guy that returns to him, who is he? He's a Samaritan. He's a Samaritan. And from the context of the passage, what we assume is that the other nine were Jews. That, that they were Jewish people. So this guy, the Samaritan, is an outcast among outcasts. So he's, he's a Samaritan. That's bad enough. But then he's a leper. Misery loves company, though, and so the Jews take him in, at least at this point, and so they're together. The, the Jews hated the Samaritans, though. But what's so interesting is that Jesus always, and this isn't a parable, so he's not making this up, but very often the Samaritans are the heroes. Who's the guy that helps the man stranded on the side of the road? It's the good Samaritan. Jesus is, is, is finding these unlikely characters, so the other nine are, are Jews, and when they are healed, they continue on their journey. Their journey where? To the priests. That's where they're going. Because it's the priests who can pronounce them clean, who can place them back into society. And their lack of gratitude 
It's not just they lack gratitude, but their lack of gratitude is a revelation that they have a lack of faith in Jesus. What are they trusting in? They're trusting in themselves. They're trusting in some sort of religious system. And so their lack of gratitude reveals this this lack of faith, and their lack of faith in Jesus causes them to miss out on the greatest blessing, which is not the cleansing of the body, but, but the healing of their souls, the cleansing of their souls. This is how many are in this age. We all receive the great blessings of God. We receive so many things from Him. If not in creation, there's special blessings that we have all received beyond even just the fact that the rain falls on us, that the sun shines on us. We've been given so much, but these gifts are intended to draw us to Christ in saving faith. And these guys, they miss that. There's a greater blessing that's intended to come, and they totally miss this blessing. Their lack of gratitude, their unwillingness to turn around and receive this shocks Jesus, it says. He is shocked at their lack of faith because it reveals, by, by their lack of gratitude because it reveals that they do not believe in him. So when the Samaritan is healed, he turns. He was heading to the priests, but now he forsakes the priests. I'm not going to the priest. Why would I go there? What can the priest do? The, the priest could pronounce him clean. Jesus made him clean. The priest could restore him to his place in society. Jesus could invite him into the kingdom of God. The priest, he would come to them and they would offer some sort of burnt offering and then a grain offering on his behalf. But And maybe the Samaritan somehow saw what the author of Hebrews is talking about later on, that, that he sees that these sacrifices, they're just a reminder every day that we have to do sin, that we sin all the, all the time, and that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But Jesus, praise God for Jesus, because Jesus has opened up a new and a living way through his flesh. Jesus has become the great high priest, and Jesus has become the lamb who is sacrificed for us. I read it this week in this book called The Supper of the Lamb by a guy named Robert Capon. He says it poetically. So let me give you some more poetry this morning. He says, The old order, of course, unchanged. The death, the deaths of bulls and goats achieving nothing. Aaron still ineffectual. Creation still bloody. But haunted now by bells within the veil where Aaron walks in shadows sprinkling blood and bids a new Jerusalem descend. Endless smoke now rising. Lion become priest and lamb victim. The world awaits the unimaginable union by which the lion, listen to this, the lion lifts himself, lame, lamb slain, and priest and victim brings the city home. He is it all. He is the priest and he is the lamb that is sacrificed for our sins. He becomes everything. And so the Samaritan sees this and he says, why, why would I go there? I think in some way that Jesus is previewing the opening of this new way of salvation. And he says it's not in priests and it's not in religious systems and it's not in these sacrifices. It's in me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You can't come to the Father except through me. And the ungrateful ones 
were in fact the unfaithful ones. They had no faith. They did not see who Jesus was. But this guy, the Samaritan, looks at his flesh and he sees that he has been cleansed, but he sees that he needs not just to be cleansed from leprosy, but to be cleansed from his sin. He sees his flesh and it's as if he's born again in this world, but he says, I need to be born again in the spirit because there is still rottenness in my soul. How amazing then that the nine, they receive this blessing, they receive this healing, but they miss, they miss it. They, they miss the, the salvation because of a lack of gratitude. I'd appeal to you, don't, don't miss this, okay? If you have received grace upon grace upon grace in Christ, if you have received blessings in your life, and you are thankful for the blessings themselves, and you are not thankful to the source of those blessings, if you do not turn to Jesus, then you will receive blessings. You might be cleansed from your leprosy. You might have all the blessings that you want, but but if it doesn't draw your heart to faith in Jesus, then you've missed the point. Everything that Jesus does is to draw us to himself. So when the man is lowered down, the paralytic, remember that? He's lowered down. And what's the first thing Jesus says to him? Your sins are forgiven. But the guy couldn't walk. But what did he really need? He needed his sins forgiven. And then he says, so that everyone knows that I have the authority to say your sins are forgiven. Get up, take your bed and walk. But if Jesus never gives us any other blessings, what he's, the blessings that he's given are meant to draw our hearts to him. We are to see ourselves as unworthy of any gift that he gives us. And then we come to him and we realize that he's actually given us his very son, that he has died to make a way for us to be saved. We come to him in faith. I pray that you would do that. And I pray for us, that we, we who are believers, that we would grow in this kind of gratitude. Let's grow in this kind of gratitude. Don't just be thankful for the gift, but go back to the source. Remember to praise Jesus. And and we need to be filled with this praise, right? Let's not just spend all our time praying and asking. But when we have been given a gift, is it possible that we could, that we could, in proportion to the gift, in, in proportion to the prayer that went beforehand to the gift, that we could continue to praise God for that gift and give Him thanks for it? Let's be humble. Let's remember that we don't deserve any of this because humility is going to be the seed of true gratitude. And remember that, that gratitude is the fruit of saving faith. Because it, it's, it's this beautiful evidence that we really understand what Jesus has done for us, that he has saved us from our sins. So if you have nothing else to be grateful for this morning, and we can be thankful for that. We can give God praise and thanks for the rest of our days because he has sent Jesus to be our Savior. Let's take a moment of silence and I invite you to give thanks to God, to give praise to God in humility for all of his kindness to us. Let's take this moment of silence and in a moment I will close this in prayer. Oh God, what do we have that we haven't been given? That we, we can give you nothing. And you have given us all things. 
but our sin has earned us nothing but death and condemnation. And yet, the death of Jesus has earned us salvation. And so, Lord, we come to you in humility. We come not trying to pay you back for anything, but we come with deep gratitude to you. Lord, help us to always come to you as the source of everything that we have, every good thing that we have, that it would draw us not to worship the gift, but you, the giver. Help us to come in joyful, loud praise to you. Help us to be humble before you. Lord, that when we receive all the blessings that you give to us, we would not think that we're entitled to them or that we deserve them. And Lord, thank you that you have given us the gift of faith. Lord, and it's only as we have faith in you that gratitude is going to spill out of our hearts and our lives. Make us a thankful people, Lord. We give you thanks even now for Jesus, who is the ultimate friend of sinners. Pray it all in his name. Amen.